All right, guys, it's the Rogue Capitalist here once more. And I've just returned from a trip to Chiang Mai, Thailand. I'm sure Thailand is a place which a lot of Westerners are very familiar with. You probably have friends who have visited that country, going on vacations, being a digital nomad, being a parasite society by leeching off whatever the Thai people have built. And let me tell you something, man. It was my first time going to Thailand. I've never visited Thailand in my life, which surprised many of my friends. I am the sort of person that doesn't really enjoy visiting neighboring countries. Whenever my friends hear that uh, I've never visited Malaysia more than five times in my life, they would drop their jaws and like, what? How can you not visit Malaysia when it's almost a three-hour drive away from Singapore. The thing is that I've always traveled to Europe, which is very often uh, annually. Even now, I still travel there annually. I think this year I might not have a plan to go there because I have a lot of deadlines to uh to hit, especially when it comes to my book and my and my business. And then America, which I used to go until about a decade a decade ago, and I stopped going there because of the uh long flights and I didn't really, they didn't really want to accompany my father on his business trips because he was oh my gosh the freaking jet lag from Singapore all the way to USA it's nearly a one day flight from where I live which is in Southeast Asia and as for Australia I visited that country many times and in fact I've not been there in the past 10 years I think the last time I was there was in 2014 uh, almost nine years ago when it comes to Australia, I might be visiting there again. I do enjoy the laid-back culture of Australia, except that it can be a little bit boring at times. But then again, the food there is incredibly fresh. There are a lot of things to see, especially when you're going on the day trip, not day trip, you're doing a road trip, going uh, towards different towns, suburbs, and getting to see the, the coastal sea line, etc. And as for New Zealand, New Zealand is odd. Right? I've been there once, which was nearly two decades ago as a young kid, and I have very bad memories of that place. I am not the kind of person that enjoys going on road trips. I think that road trips are incredible waste of time. Let's say if you are someone who is rather accomplished, or let's say you have stuff that you have, that you have in your life. Like maybe some would say, you know, you're taking a break from your work, you're going on a road trip. But on a road trip, you don't really enjoy as much. Because let's be honest, your mind is going to be on the road all the time. And you have to focus on what lies ahead. Does that really sound like a road trip or sound like working overseas, you know, bring your family, your friends, taking turns with your friends, driving through, throughout from point A to point B to point Z eventually. That's why I don't really like road trips as much. And that's the one of the big reasons why I do enjoy traveling in Europe, especially traveling in Japan, especially traveling in Korea, which are countries which uh, have proper infrastructure. You know, the pub public transportation system is perfect. And if anything goes wrong, I can just hire a cab. You know, you know, you get what I mean. It's very similar to certain cities in uh, America, New York City, Texas, Florida. Anything goes wrong, you can just take the cab. Whereas if you are living or you are staying somewhere in Australia, New Zealand, somewhere outskirts in uh, Southwest Pacific, those islands, you rarely see any cabs. In fact, you need to drive. If you don't drive, there's no point in visiting those countries. And that's why I do enjoy visiting Europe because of the Euro Rail, which connects many of the different countries together. And let's say if you're a student, you get a student pass deal, which is pretty amazing. That's why a lot of uh, Singaporean students or Asian, Southeast Asian, 
China, Japan, Japan, Japanese students, they go to Europe for exchange because you can just go to uh, Amsterdam or you can go to Netherlands and Amsterdam in Netherlands. You can go to Netherlands, you can study in the University of Utrecht and from there, you can take the train to Denmark, you can take the train to Germany, you can take the train to uh, Belgium. It's, it's very simple. If not, you can actually explore the entire entirety of Europe within the three to six months that you're there for exchange, depending on how long you plan to stay there. And so that's a big reason why I do enjoy Europe a lot. Not because of the people, but it's mainly because of how efficient it is to get from point A to point B to point Z because of the, 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 the train system. And we also know that in Japan, the Shinkansen system or the JR system, the Japan railway system is very efficient. Train is never late unless there's an earthquake nearby. In fact, when there's an earthquake, they'll just shut down the entire infrastructure. They'll just say, no trains for this day. And most likely, you'll be stuck somewhere. You know, But in Japan, it's it's very common to have earthquakes. That's one thing you have to understand, especially when you're traveling there. As for Korea, there are trains everywhere as well. I've been to Korea once, Seoul, South Korea. I might be going there real soon, but that depends on whether I can get tickets to the World Championships for League of Legends this year. Because if you guys don't know, the World Championships for League of Legends will be held in Korea this year. Yes, it will be held in Korea this year. So I am thinking of going Korea, you know, just for a short vacation. Not really short. I might be going there for a month or so because I have not really explored Korea as much. And now since I have the time, I'm not required to go to my business every day because I have a property managing it right now. I can actually spend more time instead of worrying about the day-to-day -day operations. I can just handle the administrative, the finances and, you know, just go overseas, get to see the world. Especially when I'm young. I'm, I'm barely even 30. I'll be turning 30 in a few years' time, which is currently right now, I think it's perfect time for me to travel, take a back seat, maybe towards when I want to have a family. Let's say I want to actually settle down, as you say, probably in 10 years' time. And that's when I will probably be working on my business full-time because currently I'm just, yeah, I'm still managing it, but I would rather have more free time to go around different countries, get to see things, play golf, network with people, meet new people, etc. Because I would believe that I spend the first... 10 years, first 20 years of my life since I was a kid, I was very insistent on rushing things out. And I will say that this rushing things out has paid dividend because most people my age right now are struggling. They're trying to pay off their mortgage. As for myself, I've actually worked extremely hard since I was 15, 16. I think especially when it comes to professional card games, I instilled some form of a getting focused, getting things done. And that translated to my professional career as I'll say in software engineering like from internship all the way to my university to my first job and then to my business and then to my second business it's been a constant rush for the past 10 years and I'll say that I am still working incredibly hard I do focus a lot of time towards working towards things I want to do such as recording this podcast which might not have a lot of views but it's fine to me I don't really expect much out of it and I'm working on my book and I'm also working towards the business which I have which is the, the food business a food business is the kind of thing where most people don't really think about. And I have another one which is uh yeah, I'm actually quite doing quite a lot of things. Let's not get into detail. If you guys guys want to find out more, you can probably like, drop me an email and talk about it. And so I do believe that I should take some time to travel around the world. You know, some people might say it's a terrible idea. It might be a terrible idea. But I'll say it depends on the current situation that you're in. Because let's be honest, a lot of these uh make money online gurus or these uh bunch of male influencers that you see on YouTube. What's the kind of advice that they're propagating to you? They're telling you, oh, hustle, hard, work hard. But that depends on how old you are. 
it doesn't really apply to me because I've been doing this since I was 15 years old, working hard, working smart, meeting people. For most people, they only listen to this advice at the age of 25. So that means our time horizon are incredibly different. For most of you, the starting point is 25 years old. For me, it's 15. So you plus 10, I've already accomplished what these gurus have already told you guys to do. And the thing about these gurus telling you to not travel, to not see the world, they tell you to hustle, work on your business. Let me tell you that it's full of bullshit. Like even though I rarely say the word shit on this podcast, I'm telling you it's bullshit. Don't ever listen to those people who live a life. Because ultimately, what these guys want you to do is sign up to the course, the freaking Forex course, their cryptocurrency trading course, buy their chatbot, buy their uh, digital marketing course, buy their whatever the heck they want to sell you, uh, sign up to their premium newsletter by paying a premium. Let me tell you something. If someone were to put a paywall behind their product, it's usually not worth it. Because most of the time, if you actually spend 30 minutes to an hour a day doing proper research, educating yourself outside of your work time, you'll probably be able to accomplish everything that you want to accomplish because for myself i don't pay to subscribe to any of this so-called financial news or all these pundits selling you uh, make money accelerator course how to hustle hard join don't know what hustlers university or some online cult that teaches you how to make money for many podcast episodes i've always said the same thing you want to make money then you need a mentor it's either you need a mentor or you have something called ojt on job training on-job training means that you become an apprentice under somebody and they teach you everything that you need to know regarding the certain profession that you want to accomplish. And so when it comes to OJT, it's very simple. You think of it as an engineer, you know, you complete your four-year degree and let's say you take a master's or your master's is part of your career, you know. You spend five years working, that means you graduate at the age of 25. Let's say you graduate at 23 or 25, depending on the length of your course. And then you spend five years working at an organization because God forbid, if you're going to graduate and start your own business as an engineer, there are a lot of things that you might not know because engineering is very different from computing. Computer science is exactly, you can just start a business for a college dorm. It's quite simple. You're going to spend five years working most likely as an engineer, regardless what type of engineer, industrials, electrical, uh, chemical. And then most likely, if you are doing very well, they might actually offer you a chance to take a master's program under the organization. There will probably be another year or two years that you spend studying. And when you come out, you're most likely to serve your bond three years, five years. By the time you'll be 33 or 35 years old, that is actually the peak age for most men to make the bulk of showcasing the value that they have towards society. And that's why whenever people tell you to make money online and all that, and they tell you you make a lot of money and then you're going to enjoy your life in uh, Dubai, Funny how they say you enjoy life in Dubai, but you can never enjoy this kind of life in Singapore. Because let me tell you something about Singapore. Make money online. All these guys who are crypto bros, yeah, maybe crypto, they allow you to come in. You know? But the moment you come in, you're going to be watched by the MHA, which is the Ministry of Home Affairs. Because these guys, I tell you, they have cameras everywhere. They're going to know where you're going. They know who you're going to meet. And the thing about blockchain, about crypto, from an insider's perspective, is that nobody is doing it for decentralization anymore. Newsflash, crypto is no longer about decentralization. Crypto is all about public-private partnerships now, as the World Economic Forum has said. So you can totally forget about everything you know about decentralization, staking, yield farm, NFT, all that crap. Because all these technologies are all being funded towards one key area, 
which is digital identities. The next, the future of finance, which is central bank digital currencies. They're still decentralized, but it's still centralized. You get what I mean? It doesn't really matter if you're using CBDC, if you're using Lightning Network, or you're using some, God forbid, some layer two network, which claims to uh, be completely decentralized. But then again, you have to store your keys in on the freaking platform so you can use. So if you think about it, blockchain is a, it has changed. It's like 10 years ago, I heard about it when I was in my final year of high school. And then I dabbled into it during my final year of university, during college. It's one of the projects which I worked on. That's when I get my first exposure into the blockchain industry. It has changed so much. In the past, people used to work on it as a technology. But now what do people work on it as? It's a way to quickly make money fast, which is the, which is the reason why a lot of things that people work on have no value anymore. If you tie monetary value towards anything, instead of something which you want to be a craftsman in. It's very different. When you look at a blockchain developer, it's very different compared to a guy, some finance bro, some guy on YouTube telling you to make money from crypto. It's totally different. If you're either a builder or you're a make money online fast guy, it's, it's totally two different things. And, and let's say you make a, a bulk of money from crypto, which I know many people have. In fact, actually not really. There are more people who I know who lost money in crypto than people who actually made money from it. And, and by I digress. If you made your money from crypto, congratulations to you. That's great. But I think the worst way you can tell people to make money is by telling them you made money from crypto. Because everybody wants to get money fast, right? It's, it's part of our nature to take the path of, path of least resistance and actually, you know, rip the benefits from it. But then again, how many people are actually willing to go through a proper professional education background, let's say you're in culinary school or you're studying engineering or you're medicine or you're a doctor or you're a dentist and then you go through that route and then you eventually become recognized in your profession. Because let me tell you something. If you guys watch YouTube videos, you watch a podcast, you notice that whenever it comes to podcasts relating to people who make money online, it's really full of nonsense. Like the stuff that they propagate, they are, they have, they are, they are, their mind is so far up, they are behind, that everything that comes out of their mouth has no substance. Whereas if you have a guy who is like a proper certified something, or he's actually skilled his profession, let's say he's a finance broker, let's say he's a entrepreneur in the medical industry and all that, the stuff that comes out of their mouth is real because these guys are doing business worldwide. It's an international business, a proper business structure where you have tax returns. You can get bank loans because of the amount of cash flow that you have on your business on your business balance sheet. All that. Where is he coming to make money online, guy? He, he just knows how to siphon the money out of someone's pocket. That's the big reason between someone who's made money from an online business versus a guy who's made money in a more traditional sense. And let me tell you this: make money online thing is a fad. It will not last. I'm being honest. Whereas you look in Singapore, right? Make money online. No one's doing it. Because most Singaporeans are extremely pragmatic. Okay, let's say, let's say you're making money online. You're making 2000 3000 US dollar. That's great, man. To, to most people, it's amazing. They can live like a digital nomad from Thailand, or they can go to Cambodia, or they can go to United Arab Emirates and live there like a king. But 2000 3000 US dollar, you're not gonna survive in Singapore. Rental here is almost 2000 Utility is going to cost you 800 to 1000 and you probably won't be able to live here. In fact, Singapore is the only place, Singapore, New York, London, 
Dubai, Hong Kong, are the only few places where you can work a full-time job and, and still make more money than an entrepreneur overseas. I'm not even kidding. Like you work a full-time job, you're a fresh graduate, let's say in computer science, you're already making $6,000, Singapore dollars. You ever add in your bonus? You ever add your performance bonus and all that stuff? So a fresh graduate can easily make $90,000 or $100,000 sing. SGD 100,000, fresh graduate. And most of these guys are not stupid. But when it comes to computer science, it's, it's quite a simple job, especially when you enter into the Singaporean scene. You're not really developing much. You're most likely a consultant or you're just doing maintenance. And most of these guys on the side, they're doing finance. Because Singaporeans are very pragmatic. That's the thing about Singaporeans. That's the beauty of this country. These guys have know how to efficiently use their time. So when they are working full-time, they're actually on the side with another monitor, day trading. And okay, you really have to know, these Singaporeans are really too efficient at what they're doing. Because when it comes to our society, everyone in Singapore is so monetarily driven. Like, they, they don't have any hobbies that are more artsy, or whatever you want to call it. In fact, I used to be like that. I don't really appreciate the arts until I got a bit older. I started enjoying going to orchestras, going to theaters, going to plays writing books, reading books. It's only It only came about during like six, seven years ago where I became more arts-focused. But let me tell you, it really is like that. And let's say you're making money online. Let's say you're not living in Singapore. Yes, it's a viable it's a viable solution, making money online. It solves most of your problem. You can just live somewhere in South America or, or Southeast Asia and you're doing just fine. 2,000, 3,000 US dollars, you can live like a king. Renter is probably going to cost you like 400 US dollars a month. Sometimes you can even get it for like 200 US dollars a month your daily expenditure is going to cost incredibly low. So it's near perfect for most of you guys. But understand one thing. Make money online is seasonal. It's not real. It's not a real business. No one's going to take you seriously. That's the truth. And the big reason why I'm laying out this digital nomad thing so much, because I want you guys to understand that there's no such thing as a fast way to wealth. You, you do have to put in a lot of hard work to get to a certain baseline in order for you to reap the benefits of what you sow. And that's the very worrying thing, right, when it comes to the future of work. When people are no longer tying themselves to one geographical location, getting to know the culture there, getting to know the people there, assimilating themselves into the country they are in, getting to know people, meeting the locals, they are no longer doing that. And this is something which I saw in Thailand, especially in Chiang Mai, which really worries me. The situation in Thailand and Chiang Mai is that I was very surprised to see a lot of digital nomads, or I would say a lot of Westerners. In fact, the ratio of Westerners is two Thai local to one Westerner. It, it has gotten to the point where at every corner of Chiang Mai that I visited, it might be even more grave than uh, Bangkok. There is a co-working space, there are hostels, there are most likely Airbnb apartments that people lease out for digital nomads to live in. And the whole streets that I walk past are shirtless Westerners, most likely from America or Europe, walking around shirtless because it's too hot. I don't think they're used to the, the weather there. And they're living their life like that. They are most likely digital nomads. From what I see, I see them whipping out their laptops, especially when I take my cab, going through certain parts of the streets. I see them sitting at the roadside using their laptops at a hostel. And they're just working from there. And this really pay, pays credence to what I've been saying for quite a while, which is the, the digital nomad thing is not possible in Singapore. 
the cost of living is too ridiculously high. Your rental is going to cost you $2,000 a month. So it's, it's a location which many of them have scrapped off. Unless they have a proper functioning crypto Ponzi that they're trying to sell, then yes, maybe you can live in Singapore. But if your crypto Ponzi isn't doing well, obviously you can't live here. Unless you're a resident or you're a permanent resident or you have an employment pass, Singaporean citizen, yes, you can live in Singapore. But if you're just a guy trying to siphon money from others, what, Amazon FBA, YouTuber, no, there's no way you're living here. And so whenever I went past many different streets, many different districts, I noticed a rise of co-working spaces in Thailand, which is, there's, there's an opportunity, right? I, I do believe there are some very savvy Thai people who have uh, bought up certain land because only land, you can only buy land if you're a Thai citizen or a Thai-born person. Unless you marry a Thai girl or a Thai lady, then you're able to buy it, but you have to buy it under her name. So all these Thai people are very savvy. They just buy the, the real estate, the, the construction, the real interior design, get a whole freaking building up and they can easily lease out maybe like six, seven floors with uh, six rooms each. That's daily income. And so they know the market of digital nomads coming in. The cost of living there is incredibly low. I'm telling you, it's so low. From the moment I left Chiang Mai Airport towards the hotel that I live in, which is a five-star hotel because Thailand does have very nice hotels. I'm telling you, it's pretty Chiang Mai, very nice hotels. Pretty good rate. I would say yeah. For mine, because I'm staying in a five-star hotel, an average cost is around 200 US dollars upwards, which is pretty decent. Like I do know you guys might say, oh, wow, 200 US dollars for a night is very high. I think it's fair value, depending on what you're trying to accomplish there. I do like having silence and all that, especially when I'm traveling. So from Chiang Mai Airport to my hotel, it was a very short distance. 10, 15 minutes I reached there. In fact, I was so surprised it took me 10 minutes. It really reminds me of Singapore. Because Singapore from airport to the city center is around 15 to 20 minutes. And the roads are very efficient. But then again, it comes at a price. So from the airport to the hotel, I noticed that the streets were incredibly not well lit. Now, even though I arrived at around 3.30 p.m., reached the hotel at 5, like 4.30, because I scheduled my airport pickup from the hotel, the limousine pickup at one hour later. Because I thought that immigration would take incredibly long. But to my surprise, immigration was so quick. I, the moment I came out, passport stamp, put my fingerprint, boom, boom, out. And so I actually went to have a coffee, waited for my limousine to come and pick me up. And yes, pick me up, send me there, check in, move smooth, carry my luggage in. Perfect. I, I perfectly enjoyed my entire experience from the airport all the way to the hotel because I do believe that if you pay for a premium service, that's what you get. Which I do enjoy. I do enjoy having people come pick me up at the hotel. I don't like to navigate my way to a certain place. I do enjoy having someone bringing me there. That's why I would rather pay for full service. But it depends. It depends on the country you're in. I believe that Thailand is the sort of place where the people are incredibly nice. And so the infrastructure was okay. I think it wasn't that bad. I heard that Myanmar has very backwards infrastructure, which I might not know until I'm there next year. And then the best part about it is that the people are incredibly nice. I think that Thailand is very similar to Japan. The people are very hospitable and very nice and here's one thing that i noticed the co-working space that's how i found out about the co-working space from the airport all the way to my hotel it took me around 10 to 15 minutes like i mentioned i noticed a lot of spaces for rent land for rent rent for sale so the limousine went past and then i took a look at the area when there's a lot of places for rent man a lot of places for sale like i mentioned you if you're not Thai, you can't buy land but you can rent them. 
So I went past, I see a lot of co-working spaces, I see hostels, I see a lot of Westerners sitting there half naked on their laptops working on God knows what, maybe they are travel vloggers completely wasting their life away like a vagabond. So eventually I reached my hotel, went out, <coughs> sorry, changed up, got my, book another cab to take me to the outskirts of uh, Chiang Mai, that's where I was going to have dinner with my associates. So I reached there. And along the way, I realized that the lights were incredibly dim. I, I left the hotel at around 6.37. It was about to turn dark. And I noticed that the lighting was not as great as Singapore. Because Singapore is incredibly light polluted. There's freaking lot of lights everywhere. It, like, it's great. You can, you can walk around in Singapore and feel safe because it's the way the, the country is structured. You won't feel as safe compared to back home in Singapore. Especially in Thailand, it's so dark. You, you go through the entire street anyway, there is no dark except for the cars with the lights beaming out. And that is Thailand itself. And that's a big reason why I do enjoy Chiang Mai because it's quite, it's an agricultural econ- economy. They're quite laid back, quite relaxed. So that means that when the light, when the night comes out, everyone goes home by 7 p.m. sharp. Reminds me of the outskirts of Japan in Aomori where every, well, everyone ends work at like 5, 6 and that's about it. Unless they're in a tourism economy, then they probably have to work until later on. But I do believe that Chiang Mai has a good mix of the service-based economy, which is the tourism, and then they have the agricultural economy, which is high up in the mountains in the rice paddies. And if you look at the map of, of uh, Chiang Mai, it's actually a lot of agriculture. They, they have coffee beans, they have rice, they have vegetables, they have a lot of uh, livestock. It's something which you guys want to check out because this is what makes Chiang Mai very interesting compared to Bangkok, Thailand, or like Phuket, Pattaya, etc. So I reached the place at my dinner, amazing dinner. Then I noticed that the land there is incredibly scarce, not scarce, uh, incredibly vast. That many people own their own land, they build their own bungalows, they build their own, etc. All that kind of stuff. But one thing I noticed is that Chiang Mai is incredibly quiet. Quiet, when I mean quiet, is that when I was there, I didn't feel that there was a lot of people there. Maybe because everybody goes at home early. But then again, with the digital nomads around, the nightlife was still incredibly quiet. Because as I went back, from my dinner place back to the hotel at around 9pm-ish. That's when the peak of the nightlife is, right? That's when most of the people come out to go to the night bazaar, to go to the night markets, etc. It was so quiet. And I do believe that it's still because of COVID-19. And that's why the place hasn't really recovered yet. So as I as my, as my cab went past the night bazaars, the nightlife back to the hotel, I noticed that there were so little people walking around. And that's actually a very concerning thing, especially for a country like Thailand, which is heavily reliant on tourism. I don't see the digital nomads out and about buying stuff. It's mainly the tourists, like those uh, affluent Westerners. Because the hotel that I live in, which is a five-star hotel, does have a lot of affluent Westerners. Because you can tell them apart. Digital nomads all dress singlets and khaki pants walking around. Whereas the Westerners who are more affluent, what do they dress? They dress like Dora the Explorer. They're dressing like the outback, uh, how to say, they're wearing the Indiana Jones pouch and then they wear their very long khaki pants and then they wear the safari hat. So I can more or less picture a, a fluent Westerner compared to a digital nomad at this point because I've seen many of them throughout my entire life. And that's the thing, there's not much digital nomads going around. And that's, that's why I say that if you're a digital nomad, you're essentially not even contributing much. You're only at most paying rent and eating at your hostel, which has very cheap food, like fried rice every day for like what? 20 baht, 25 baht, 30 baht, which is like a dollar, a US dollar. And that's about it. And that's why 
even though many people say digital nomads contribute to the economy, you do have to have a certain amount of salary gap in order to get a visa there. But I don't believe that those people there have visas. They're just there for a month and they're bounced. They're probably going to Vietnam. They spend like a month each at every country. And that is a kind of a reason why tourism has changed. It's no longer about people visiting there to assimilate themselves to the culture. It's more of people trying to live there because it's cheap. And that's a big reason why tourism in the new normal with the rise of remote world digital nomads have changed the way that Thailand has become, which is a concerning thing. And I do know that it's not peak season. Peak season for Chiang Mai is from November all the way to February. And I do hope that the people living in Chiang Mai have a vibrant tourist booming economy once more in a, in probably five months from now. I won't be going to Chiang Mai in the next few months, maybe next year. But I do hope that they enjoy the amount of people that will be visiting there because it's such a shame for a country that used to be at its peak. But COVID totally ruined everything. In fact, you see a lot of businesses really pulling out. That's why a lot of space are for rent are for sale because nobody wants to do business there because of the lack of people there. And digital nomads, they're not doing anything. They're just you know living their life aimlessly, trying to reduce the cost of living, not building towards a future or a life worth living for. And let me take a break before we carry on of the finances, which I believe that you guys would want to find out how, how much does it cost to live in Chiang Mai or that. All right, let's carry on. Okay, so finances and cost of living. Thailand is relatively affordable. It is not as crazy as Singapore where you are paying nearly a third of your income towards rental. I would say that based on my estimates, you can easily get 400 to 500 US dollars rent a month, maybe even less, depending on where you're living. As for myself, because I stayed in a five-star hotel, it cost me around $1,000 for five nights, which is quite decent compared to Tokyo. If you were to stay five nights in Tokyo, it easily cost you $2,000, $2,500, depending on the type of hotel you're living, depending on Hilton, Intercontinental, Marriott, or one of those IHG hotels. IHG, which is the International Hotel Group. You guys should check it out. There's a membership for that. And in terms of meals-wise, I do believe that the food there is very fresh because it directly comes from their local economy, very similar to Japan. You can easily live there on relative estimate, less than 10 US dollars a day when it comes to food. Maybe even less, maybe 5 US dollars, depending on what you're eating. But of course, you want to control what you're eating. You don't want to eat too much fried food. You don't want to eat too much uh, oily food. You want to eat something more soupy, and which is something which... Chiang Mai has or something that Thailand has they have a lot of soupy food and the thing about northern Thailand is because of its geographical location near to Laos Laos I call it Laos and Myanmar and to China there's a lot of Chinese influence so you'll be easily able to find noodle dishes soup dishes which might not maybe many people might not like it but to me I find it's okay and one more thing you have to understand because I do know that a lot of people want to talk about the biggest thing in the room which is McDonald's, my goodness, McDonald's in uh, Chiang Mai is incredibly pricey. I'm talking about 400 baht to 600 baht per meal, which is 400 baht is easily $16. So McDonald's in uh, Chiang Mai is not really seen as a fast food per se. It is quite luxurious to consume McDonald's in uh, Chiang Mai. $16 for a meal is definitely more than the average wage that uh normal Chiang Mai person would earn in a day because I do believe that the the average wage in Chiang Mai is not that high but relative to their cost of living it's fairly decent 
So for most Westerners who are looking to enjoy a, a McDonald's meal or a fast food meal in Chiang Mai, I don't think that they would want to eat McDonald's there. I don't eat McDonald's anymore. I've not eaten it for three years plus. And when I look at it, it's like, holy, it's almost as costly as eating out at a restaurant. Like ordering one dish at a restaurant. A restaurant dish probably costs you like 100, 200 baht, 300 baht. Uh, you can go upwards to around 1,000 baht based on what you're ordering. But McDonald's for 400 baht, which is 16 Singapore dollars, which is around 12 US dollars, is incredibly pricey. And this is like just McMuffin. When you go up to like big breakfast level, man, it's going to cost you like 600 baht, which is nearly 24 Singapore dollars or 22 Singapore dollars, around 18 US dollars for McDonald's there. So uh, if you guys want to have McDonald's there, I highly suggest you avoid it because it's incredibly high. I, and these are the prices I saw at the airport. I'm a, I'm, it might be different. The McDonald's price might be different in the city center. But because the airport, of course, everything is higher pricing. I never patronized McDonald's in a long time. So these prices are in the airport. It might be different in the city center. But then again, you get a point. McDonald's there is not fast food. It's quite luxurious to actually have a meal in an air-conditioned environment. And as for the next one, I know you guys want to find out. Coffee. An espresso there costs you around 25 baht all the way to 70 baht, depending on the location you're at. 25 baht is around a dollar US, which is quite decent. So you can get your coffee fix for one dollar US at a random coffee shop somewhere. Or you can pay 70 baht, which is around two to three US dollars at a nice cafe somewhere in a, in a more upscale cafe with air conditioned, with proper cleanliness, all that. But I do enjoy going to the cafes there. I believe that the reason there are so many cafes there is because of the uh, the influx of Western influences. Like, you have to understand that Chiang Mai has their own coffee beans. They have their own coffee plantations high up in uh, Doi Internon uh, Mountain, which is the national park of uh, Thailand, where the royalty actually visit there every year. And so when it comes to Chiang Mai and coffee beans, you can definitely find coffee beans there. It might not be as robust as uh, those that come from Africa, but you have to understand that the Chiang Mai coffee beans are locally sourced and grown and harvested Arabica coffee beans, which is a picture I have in my phone. I don't think I'll be doing any editing to this podcast. I want you guys to just listen while you guys are probably doing something. Either you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on Apple or Google or Spotify. So when it comes to Chiang Mai, there's, there's a lot of coffee. There's a lot of teas because the, the Hmong people, which are the tribal people, they still live in the mountains. And they will actually sell the produce to the markets below, to the service sector people to actually utilize the stuff in the local economy. So getting coffee there is not a problem. You can get easily get coffee beans for easily 200 baht, which is around $7 for a bag of, I think, 500 grams or maybe 200 grams. It's quite a lot. So coffee-wise, you don't worry much. Tea-wise, you don't worry much. Food-wise, you don't worry much. For internet-wise, I do find the internet quite okay. It's quite fast. But then again, I think internet in most places in the world is quite okay compared to Indonesia. I do believe that Indonesia has not very good infrastructure based on what my friend told me. So in terms of cost of living, it's quite okay. But the biggest one that you guys have to understand is the uh, public transportation system in Chiang Mai. There are no buses, there are no trains. I believe there are some buses, but they don't take you to important areas. And when it comes to public transport, you either have to order a tuk-tuk, which is like a, is their form of transportation. And then there's motorbike, like grab scooter. You can rent a bike, you can rent a scooter to go around the city, you can rent a car to go around the city. 
Or you can take the age-old easy way. If you're traveling in a group, let's say two to three people, you can take a cab, which is basically across the board. It is quite affordable. Cab prices there are very affordable. It's around 70 to 100 baht per trip. If you're going somewhere further, it can cost you 200 baht. Like you're going to the airport. Of course, there'll be an airport charge. So 200 baht transport is around seven Singapore dollars, which is around five US dollars uh, based on US terms. So traveling to the airport is really very affordable. Going within the city, you can just take a cab anywhere because let's be honest, most of the people in Chiang Mai don't take the cab system because they prefer taking their own scooter. And to them, spending three US dollars, three Singapore dollars on uh, public transport is not affordable to them. It is actually on more of a higher scale because they don't spend that much every day. To be honest, I think they spend less than three US dollars a day because they're eating at home or the or the place that they're working at has a supermarket where they can buy their produce or their meals scheduled for them every single day. So that's uh, the finances cost of living part of Thailand. What else am I missing? I do believe I have a competition settled, which is uh, you guys can easily live there for like 300 US dollars or less. Utilities-wise, I do believe it's included in the, in the rental. Food-wise, you can live on 5 US dollars or less. Internet, I think it's also incredibly cheap, especially when you're renting an apartment as like a digital nomad or someone going there for vacation. Internet is very provided. You do have to buy a SIM card, which is 8 Singapore dollars for 8 days, which is like a dollar a day. Not too bad. It might be a different deal for you guys if you travel from different countries. But you can get SIM cards from the, from the airport or you can go to the city center and get it. I do suggest picking, picking it up from the airport because I don't think the prices are that much different from in the city or the airport. I don't know it's different in Brunei. Brunei is... Uh, they charge you more at the airport than in the city center. And then, yeah, McDonald's is incredibly pricey. Coffee and tea is relatively very affordable. It's quite similar to Singapore price. Because Singapore is weird, man. Singapore has pricey coffee and tea, and then there's more upscale. You can drink traditional coffee for a dollar in Singapore, but now it's like a dollar fifty. Traditional tea for a dollar fifty as well. And then you can go to a nice restaurant and have tea for like $5, $6 for a pot. And for a cup of latte, it's going to cost you like $6.50 on average. There are some places that are still selling it at $4, $5, but those don't make the mean, right? It's just a relatively small outlier. So Chiang Mai-wise, it's quite an affordable city if you guys want to check it out. But of course, if you are traveling like me, I'm eating at restaurants, like proper Michelin restaurants, which cost me at around $40 Singapore dollars for lunch. And... 80 to 150 dollars for dinner. This is for like three to four packs. And I think it's worth it, especially when I enjoy the better cuisines of northern Thailand food. You do have to eat at better restaurants because the street food, yes, is amazing. But if you want the true northern Thai experience, you do have to check out a couple of restaurants. If you guys want my itinerary, you can message me on YouTube or you can drop me an email. I'll share it with you. And I think that's all I want to cover for today's episode because I roughly covered everything I want to say. But I'll definitely talk more about Thailand in the next episode. And as for my Substack, I believe that I did not publish an article this week or last week. I'll be publishing twice. And so do keep a lookout for that. It's more of my Japan travels and my more of the thoughts that I have when I was traveling there. Because I write down everything that I've experienced on my no- in my notebook. So everything is still quite fresh in my mind. So that's all I have for today's episode. Do check out my book, Rock Capitalist. And that's all I have for today. See you guys on the next one. Rogue Capitalist, out.